Howdy and welcome to Economics in 10 with Pete and Gav. In each podcast we'll be looking at a famous economist and asking 10 questions that will hopefully inform you and get you thinking about their influence in modern society today. So, the first question, who are we looking at today and why she's still so relevant? Well, today, Gav, we are looking at Eleanor Ostrom, uh, the first and still the only woman to have won the Nobel Prize for Economics, uh, which she shared with a chap called Oliver Williamson. Yes. So, uh, I guess similar to our last episode, you could say Ostrom operated outside the mainstream. Um, I guess in the sense that, like Veblen, she was very interested in how institutions shape economic decision-making. So you can argue that um, Veblen may have paved the way uh, as the grandfather of institutional economics, but she very much brought this up to the modern day. And in some ways, I know in each episode we say we want to put economists in their time. Yeah. She's of our time, yes. without question. Yeah, very exciting. Um, I mean, she only died relatively recently, um, compared to the other economists we've looked at. But even when you read her writing, she is talking about the problems that we are trying to address today. Yeah. Uh, so, and perhaps um, most importantly, I think the thing that I came across uh, having read about her was that she offered a new approach to how economics should be conducted, uh, as well as a sort of fresh approach to how conflict can potentially be resolved. And you think about that, how conflict can potentially be resolved... What could be more relevant today? Well, <laughs> that's certainly true. I, uh, and when I was uh, doing my little bit of reading, um, yeah, the crossover with Veblen actually it, uh, much more unexpected than I thought. Yeah. To be honest, yeah. but there you go. Uh, yeah, conflict. Yeah. So hopefully, as we go through or towards the end of the episode, we'll maybe we'd like our listeners to go away with some sense of. I think how we can uh, attempt to approach what might be the most important challenge of our time, mm. how we manage the climate. Boom. Yeah. Straight in. Uh, I mean, we should say probably that, you know, to plug our old podcast, we did mention Eleanor a little bit, didn't we, in our environmental podcast? We did mention it yes. a little bit. Mm. Yes. Uh, so as I mentioned already, uh, we're going to look at her in terms of her main ideas, but also her approach to economics. Um she is methodologically pluralist. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Yeah. Um, and I guess partly what we're trying to do with this series, as opposed to the first series, is promote diversity in economics. And in her very being, you know, economics, unfortunately, as, as things stand, yeah. is very much a male-dominated profession. Do you want my data now on this? I'll take your data now. Because I, I, are you, you going to do her biog? I'll do a little bit about it, yeah. Yeah, we are going to do a biog, yeah. Okay, I might wait then until you do her biog. Well, I look forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so not only would she, could, you could argue she promotes diversity uh, in her very being, yeah. but also she was very keen to promote diverse yes. voices, yeah. um, both in economics, but also in, in terms of when one is conducting research, who one should listen to. Yeah. In other words, you know, we're not necessarily the experts, the people on the ground... Um, perhaps dealing with a problem, are the experts just as much as the, the so-called expert researcher. Yeah. Um, another thing I sort of, uh, I think, makes her particularly relevant today, I'd argue she's non-sectarian. I think her approach to... 
What do you, you mean? You can't what see you, this. Uh, what do you, what do you, obviously, what do you for a podcast, but I'm pulling a face at that mean? point. What do you mean by that? I'm going to explain what oh, I mean excellent. by that. Very good. Uh, I would say her approach to economic research is about problem solving rather oh, yes. than sort of protecting an ideological position. Yeah. You know, either like market fundamentalism or Marxism. No, no, no. She's very much interested in we have this problem at hand. Yeah, how how can we go it? about yeah. solving it? Um, and what is interesting from that point of view, you could argue, you know, both the left and the right could try and claim that, you know. Yeah. Um, she did, so I think she did a Hayek lecture at one she point. She did, yeah, because I know my, some of my old students yeah. went to see it. So at the yeah. IEA, yeah. Right. Yeah, I remember reading about it in a personal yeah. statement. Um, and one last thing, I think, and we will come back to this, I think she is both optimistic and balanced. So you get a sense from her, her writings that, she doesn't believe humans are inherently evil or selfish, but nor are they without self-interest. So there's a kind of pragmatism there. You know, yeah. we're as prone to cooperation as we are as prone to competitive striving. Yeah, that was the thing I got from her, basically. It was just this yeah. whole idea that she was so, you know, could take all, all views, yeah. you know, like, like you're saying, to solve whatever the problem in hand is. Yeah. You know, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, should we do a little bio? Yeah, do the bio. Can I do the bio? Come well, on. What it struck me when I was, I was considering this, though, you know, I was saying earlier that she is of our time. If she was around today, she would be younger than my dad. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I, my dad is still going, by the way. Yeah, right. Um, okay. I mean, he's pretty old. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he is, he's very much alive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there we are. So, she. Uh, I'll carry on with the bio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go so, for, go born for in 1933. She was born Eleanor Claire Awan. I don't know if I'm pronouncing either Ostrom or Awan wrong, uh, oh, right or wrong. You know, we haven't worried about that too much. <laughs> I'm sure we've a lot of our blogs. butchered a lot of names yeah. and a lot yeah. of terminology. And prepared to do more. We are. Uh, so she's born in Los Angeles, California in 1933. And her father was an unemployed Hollywood set designer. Yeah. There's a few of them around, actually. <laughs> CGI these days. Yeah, Structural unemployment yeah. classic. Well, yeah. And her mother, and a, and a musician mother. Uh, so I've got a physical description of her, actually. Don't Love you? it. So, uh, shall I read this? Yeah. So she was small in physical stature, yet a scholarly giant in the social giant sciences, and notably the field of economic governance. Though roughly five feet tall, it was easy to spot her in a crowded room. She was the colourfully garbed woman with a big laugh, warm smile and eyes that engage others in serious conversations about how humans self-organise themselves to manage resources. Oh. You're talking about Eleanor there, aren't you? I am, yeah. yeah. Okay. Who do you think I was talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I might be describing the mum. Yeah. No, no, I'm talking no, about Eleanor, I, no. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, no. Or Lynn, as she's called. You're absolutely right, yes. Lynn. Should we call yeah. her Lynn from now on? Or should we just say Ostrom? I don't know. Oh... I'd like to think that we're going to end up quite pally with her. So let's okay. call her Lynn. Interesting. Okay, so yeah. Lynn was brought <laughs> up in Depression-era poverty after her Jewish father left her Protestant mother. Apparently she was bullied at school. Yeah, I know. I read that. Yeah, uh, partly because she was half Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly, at school as well, um, it, and this isn't uncommon, actually, she had a stutter. Yes. Yeah, uh, she had a stutter. Do you, do you know who else had speech impediments? Two very famous speakers. Um, Actually, I can think of three now. Well, I'm thinking of that film. 
the King's Speech. Yeah. Yes. So that's George the Sixth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the one. Yeah, uh, George the Sixth. <laughs> it is and, George the Sixth, yeah. isn't it? Churchill. Churchill, yeah. And Aaron Bevan. Right. Yeah, apparently all had speech impediments. Well, there you go. But funnily enough, I mean, um, a, a kind of a well-known podcaster yeah. um, who does a, a is Scroobius Pip, right. who we've seen in, in concert, have we? Yeah. yeah, and uh, he does one called Distraction Pieces, his podcast. Right. And he's got a terrible stammer. How is he? And um, oh, how he basically kind of improved his language, as it were, is through poetry, and, you, and she did the same. Yeah, or, or I, I sort of read about debating. Yeah, but I think yeah. she did poetry as well. But maybe, maybe. Oh no, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're yeah. absolutely right. Um, so so yeah. I thought that was quite interesting. That's like a, maybe a yeah a, a, a way of doing things, isn't it? Yeah. So apparently she was placed on the speech team of her high school. Yeah. But you're right. It did involve orating poetry, mm. um, but also debating, and actually that she felt that almost an unintended consequence of that that, you know, how she really got into debating at school was that when she came to look at research problems in future life, she always tried to look at things from, you know, different perspectives. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. in a sense, if you're going to debate properly or, you know, you don't just look, all right, I'm going to argue for this case. Yeah. You've got to either, you know, occasionally you can do it almost like a sport. You can argue for something you don't believe yeah. in. Which um, I tell the students to do all the time. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the best thing to do in economic um, debates. Argue what you don't, don't believe yeah. in. But she felt that really helped to shape her sort of approach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she was initially steered away from maths at school. Yes. And that actually led to her being rejected from studying economics at UCLA. Yeah. Uh, and she was only finally accepted uh, for on, onto a PhD in political science. Yeah. I read that she couldn't do economics because she couldn't do maths. Yeah. And she had asked to do maths, but she couldn't do maths because she was a girl. Yeah. Which like is quite kind of quite incredible, really. And that's yeah. where I come in with my stats. Oh, well. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna well, come because it's that thing about the barring of women, as it were, into the economics kind of trade. And she yeah. obviously did a back kind of door route. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I've got some a uh, little bit of data. This is very exciting. Right. Okay, it says here the percentage of undergraduate economics degrees awarded to women peaked at 35% in 2003 right. and has since fallen to between 30 and 33%. Okay, so it's kind of going down. It says yeah. the share of women among full professors in PhD granting economics departments was 6% in 93 and 13.9% in 2017. Yeah. And they're saying compared to senior women professors in science and engineering, that went from 42 to 369 So the advances that you'd kind of so expect... Your science yeah. and engineering have raced ahead of yeah, well, and still not. Haven't done that. Quality. And basically, there was an undergraduate called Alice Wu who exposed the kind of sexism within the kind of economics job market that, you know, it was like it says here Wu analysed over a million posts and found that a reliable way to predict whether a post was about a woman was whether it contained explicitly sexual references. Mm. I mean, incredible. So, and, and that's the thing. And they said here as well that in economics, they said uh, that 25% of women felt valued within economics compared to 47% of men. Right. right. Compare these dissatisfaction scores to a broad survey of employees which found only 31% felt valued at work. Men in economics are happier than a broad national sample, while women economists feel less so. So you already see that isolation. Mm. And then there was a brilliant article that came out the other day 
that spoke about, if you think about that from women, yeah. then black women, it's even worse. It says black women account for 6.8% of bachelor degrees in the social sciences. 2017, only 0.6% of doctoral degrees in economics and only 2% of bachelor degrees in economics were awarded to black women. Wow. Many black women who might want to study economics are effectively prevented from doing so at a young age because research showed that black girls are disproportionately recommended less by teachers for advanced placement calculus. So they're still facing the same yeah. thing, STEM classes and college preparation in general, once you take in all the other you know, mm. evidence. So you is know. this an American study? Yeah. Mm. And, and so what they've done is, they've again, to try and kind of encourage diversity, they've set up this uh, mm. Sadie Collective, a group that supports greater representation mm. of black women in economics. But it just... What's that's what I found about that you know Ellen Ostrom thing about mm. blocking, blocking, blocking. Mm. How you know kind mm. of little it's moved on, and we know mm. we've got fantastic female economists that we've taught, yeah. haven't we? Absolutely yeah. brilliant, and yet why? Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, we could you know, debate this a lot because yeah. we obviously both teach in high schools, in effect, yeah. secondary schools, as they're called in the UK. Um, but you do see very gendered subject choices yeah. and you do not see equal proportions of boys and girls choosing economics, yeah. even at this stage. I know. And I almost think, yeah. why? You know, it's, um, well, we've done some sort of in-house research, but it's not particularly yeah. um, meaningful. Well, I put a little kind of shout out to the uh, economics Facebook group <laughs> and ask whether having a female teacher where you've got role models, whatever, mm. would encourage mm. it. Not at all. Yeah, just you know no it? no impact but I'm just, I found that's what I found yeah. the, the, that story of Eleanor you kind of just yeah. think resonates must be, so yeah. in fact she, I don't know if you've got it in there but she, there's that thing about where w- one of the four people eventually let onto this course that they were kind of on basically burnt her dissertation and threw <laughs> it away and just got out of the profession right. because she just felt like yeah. she, she didn't belong in that it kind of relates to a little bit imposter syndrome, doesn't it? I suppose yeah, you feel like yeah. an imposter in that profession. Yeah. And once you've got all that kind of sexism as well going on, you know, there's another article I read where um, to get a, a job in the economics field previously, this woman was saying about they got interviewed basically on a bed. Like she sat on the bed and there was these other like dudes basically interviewing her on chairs. She sat on this bed. God. <laughs> thinking. Anyway. That sounds horrifying. I know. Incredible, um, but I, I, I just, its amazing how things just haven't. Yeah, well, it's certainly not moved on in the way you'd hope to. I wonder, you know, because going back to our, our situation, um, just in high school, and again, we don't want to go. We, we will come back to Ostrom, mm-hmm. I promise. Uh, but what is putting girls off? And, yeah. you, and you do wonder as well whether you know how the whole um, role of an economist in society is perceived. Because yeah. certainly, anyone you see on TV who purports to be an economist invariably a man you know you yeah. get the odd one but it's nearly always men um so you wonder whether that's partly it's just a lack of representation yeah. not that economists are particularly well represented in yeah. sort of the media as it anyway but no it's but, true but it's you look true. at economics correspondence as well they're yeah more likely to be men you know that where you might come across them um, there's ooh. a great great one i think it's holly holly baxter and um Rianne Cossett, I think that's their name, they wrote this book called The Vagenda. And one of the bits in they say in that is what you what you can't see, you can't be. And I always right, remember yeah. that phrase, and you kind of just think about that, that there's no representation out there. And then you go down that women route and then black women, and you kind yeah. of think there's just no, no one out there. What you can't represent. see, you can't be. Yeah, yeah I like that phrase. Yeah. Anyway, crack uh, on with so, uh, Lynn. Back. So she did eventually study at the University of California, UCLA, and she married one of her classmates. Yeah. But the marriage did not go well, yes. uh, apparently. 
apparently she was thinking of doing a PhD uh, and he wasn't enthusiastic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I put the old blockers on. It's amazing, isn't it? So it is interesting because, you know, you're absolutely right. There were loads of obstacles to her being successful, yeah. you know, to her gaining prominence. Mm. And you kind of think of all the sort of Nobel Prizes for economics, how many of them have been as hard won yeah. in terms of the obstacles yeah. they had to face in order to get where they yeah. ended up. Well, one of the things we always go, I mean, in schools nowadays, it's all about resilience. Mm. resilience, And she has certainly shown yeah. huge amounts of resilience. But she paid basically for her first husband to get through law school. That's right, yeah. That's the incredible thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like she supported him and then he's like, oh, sorry, what? <laughs> Uh, no. Uh, no. I think there's a quote going back to the mass thing about yeah. how someone said about how you won't be needing mass in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. That's, there's a quote yeah. linked to that, which yeah. is just, again, incredible. Anyway. Um, I mean, she did end up very happily married. You know, um, she ended up married to Vincent yes. Ostrom, uh, and Moved that... on from her um, classmates just to go to a lecturer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's in 1965. She takes up a job at the University of Indiana um, where Vincent was already employed. I think what happened was she met Vincent when she was at UCLA and then he moves to the University of Indiana and then she moves there as well. Yeah. Um, so apparently in one of her interviews she said there was no encouragement to think about anything other than teaching in high school or being pregnant and barefoot in the kitchen. Yeah. So in other words, you know, any sort of thought she might have had about sort of going into academia were discouraged to say the least and I read this story that apparently she was hired um, she did end up as a you know teaching in an American university because she was prepared to teach a class on American government at 7.30 in the morning and <laughs> <laughs> no one else was you know yeah but fair play to it you know it's sort of a, you know it's a way in as you, as you yeah. said it's sort of almost a, a back door into yeah Something she I think we might have mentioned this before about the key to success is just turning up. <laughs> yeah. There's that kind of thing, isn't there? Then that's, yeah. If you just keep on going. But anyway. Uh, and just to give you know a sense as well of how male-dominated things were, apparently there wasn't any female bathrooms. Mm. Uh, women had to use the men's room and then put a sign on the door when they were inside. Oh, I thought you were going to say, put on a deep voice. <laughs> Like the scene from Life on Brian. <laughs> uh, no, no. It's interesting because, you know, in my sort of family history, I'm always talking about our bloody family, aren't I? But um, my grandmother went to medical school and she was one of the only women in her year. She must have been one of the first sort of yeah. qualified doctors, I guess. And that was at the University of Manchester. And she never ended up practising. She ended up just acting as a secretary for a... Yeah. Um, her husband, who oh. was also a doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of look back at that and thought, that is quite yeah. interesting, to say the least, you know. Well, it's, it's just, I think, fascinating how slow, yeah, just again, how slow yeah. change is. I went to the Lord's um, Long Room and they'd only just started to allow women in because the, when I went, it, one of the men's toilets just had a, like a paper kind yeah. of label put stuck over the top saying female because <laughs> they just weren't kind of yeah. set up for it. By the way, the Lord's Long Room mm. is a reference to cricket. Yeah. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, it's not about the House of Lords. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Probably a few, few members of the House of Lords in there, yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, right, so... I thought um, you were originally going to say that with your massive large family you had separate 
boys and girls join it. So one of the main aspects of um, the legacy of the Ostroms, because in some ways they are um, a husband and wife team. Yeah, she know? was clearly inspired by him. Yeah, and, but, you know, obviously an incredible thinker in her own right, but they founded a workshop at, at the University of Indiana. Yeah. It's called the Workshop in Political Theory and Policy Analysis. So in some ways, apparently, um, they called it a workshop because no one really knew what a workshop was. Right. And then they could almost sort of get away with a bit of, you know, do what they like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's because they wanted to encourage diversity, didn't they? Yeah, Within the thinking, yeah. like, what's it called? Cross-pollination kind of stuff. Yeah. Across the thing. And that, yeah. and that wasn't normal. Yeah, yeah. You know, within yeah. university life. I read some story, I can't quite remember the detail of it, but like, there was one professor from another faculty and he saw sort of some sort of graduate student, oh, don't go near the workshop, you'll end up <laughs> counting leopards or something like this, you know, do you end up on something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so obviously there was this sort of slight air of mystery about it, but as you say, I mean, really, it was, it was so that they could pursue a fairly innovative approach yeah. to research. Um, and um, that's where she she uh, donated a Nobel Prize fund, didn't yeah, she? she did, to, yeah, she did. Yeah, I didn't realise quite how much you got. Yeah, that's quite I know. a big sum. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Might have to start working harder. <laughs> our time will come. <laughs> I mean, about what, one one point four million dollars. Yeah, it was quite. It was quite a sizable amount. To the the work, and obviously the workshop is still going. I think it's now called the Ostrom. I think it's named after them. Now. Oh, okay. I can't remember the name. Um, did it, something else about them, you know, in terms of, you know, you say workshop, it implies a kind of craft. They did make their own stuff. Yeah. yeah. Built their own second home, didn't they? Yeah, and built a log cabin. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. And their own furniture. Yeah. Uh, so I've got some uh, quotes about, or not a quote, a description of the workshop under the Ostroms. Love it. Uh, so the workshop under the Ostroms seems to have been a remarkable place, brightened up by Lynn's sparkling laugh and garish tops. That's the second reference to it. Dressing quite colourfully. Would any men be referred to by as they're dressed? Oh, <laughs> I'm sure that one. I think she did wear quite a striking outfit. So. Uh, so the laugh was a reliable sign that she was in the building, available to be, to be buttonholed by students. At reunions, Ostrom would lead the singing of folk songs. It was that kind of place. Wow. The Ostroms never had children, but the workshoppers did. And those children called Lynn Grandma. Oh, that's sweet, isn't it? Yeah, she does. She, yeah. So, um, they, uh, apparently they, they died within three weeks of each other. Yes. Well, which, uh, you obviously, I know. something all sweet about that. Like, yeah, but they both had cancer, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, it's pretty grim. Yeah. So, what we'll come to in a moment is her, her, her theories and, and her ideas. But there's very much a concern about natural resources yeah. and how they should be protected, particularly commonly held sort of natural resources. Um, but they apparently were concerned about that in their own lives as well, because as you said, they built a log cabin, and then um, in Lake Huron, yeah? Lake Huron yeah? <laughs> I think that's one of the Great Lakes. Right. Okay. Uh, I could be making it up there. Uh, you know. um, but. Apparently, over the years, they noticed the decline in the sort of lake levels and things like that. So, you know, even in their own lives, they were observing, right. sort of. It wasn't just some abstract thing. Yeah. They had skin in the game. <laughs> I feel we should ting for that. <laughs> I've not mentioned it for some time.
So the the idea that she's probably most famous for, um, in some ways, it's it's a rebuttal of another thinker's ideas. There's quite a famous work called The Tragedy of the Commons by uh, a, a wildlife biologist called Garrett Hardin. Yeah. yeah. I actually read this when I did my MSc. Did you? Yeah. I must have read about Ostrom at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I only remember Garrett then. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so he, he, he had the idea, he, he developed this idea of The Tragedy of the Commons. It's probably worthwhile explaining, first of all, what we mean by a commons. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to do that, actually? No, no, you go for it. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so a, co- a commons is, is basically an area of land or a resource which is commonly owned. In other words, it's not owned by any one individual. Different people can use it. So it's a collectively held resource. Yeah. yeah? Um, and so the tragedy of the commons, according to Hardin's article, is ultimately if you have a commonly shared resource it will end up being abused. Yes. In a sense, let's say you've got some sort of field where people can bring their cattle to pasture and so on. Well, eventually it will all be sort of run down and end up sort of the soil will end up eroded and so on. Because no one individual has an incentive to look after the land. Because yeah. they could think, well, if I do a little bit less with my sort of cattle, they might do a little bit yeah. more. Yeah. And it goes back to the kind of classical rational economics of self-interest yes. sort of thing. Yeah, so there's no sort of uh, self-interest being served by you yeah. withholding from sort of using this particularly commonly held yeah. resource. And this is the tragedy of the commons. You know, everyone can see in effect, oh, this is all being run down, but no one can take yeah. that leap to think, well, I'm not going to step back because if I do then someone else will be a free rider yeah. on my kind of, uh, you know, correct choice. I don't know what you'd call it, really. Like when you go to university and no one wants to do the washing up. Yes. It's your classic, yeah. I always think. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of what a, a commons is. And as you say, the assumption underpinning that is that people are rational or even selfish. Uh, and the implications of that for Hardin were that he needed some quite uh, severe sanctions yeah. to protect the commons. And so he was made, you know, the commons is a metaphor in the light for, for, for all sort of commonly held resources. So at that point in history, he's writing in the late 60s, there was lots of concerns about, oh, that's the, when the environmental movement really begins to take off. Mm. People have concerns about population growth around the world where's that going to end you yeah know? he was quite Malthusian wasn't he very much Malthusian mm-hmm. it does make me think we should have done Malthus in our first series yeah because right? I almost think he's kind of like quite a key, key element, thinker yeah. even if it's someone you sort of react to yeah uh, but Malthus was a 19th is it 19th well we mentioned him in the Ricardo one we did because yeah. he's mates with him we, you know 19th century economists with a very negative view of yeah how population growth and, and Hardin had that didn't he yeah it's almost like a, a modern updating of uh, Malthus's view I mean Hardin was of the view that modern welfare encouraged people to have more and more children yeah and if there wasn't some kind of check on that um, you know it yeah. would you know it would end very badly for the human race natural resources he basically said that they should be sterilised after one kid didn't he yeah yeah, yeah. pretty brutal yeah, and, and partly, you know, Ostrom went to his lecture about yeah. the tragedy of the commons and was actually quite horrified yeah. by his sort of mooted solutions as to what should be done about this. And that's partly why she 
went away yeah, yeah. and sort of thought, well, we must, we, there must be a different way. There must yeah. be a different approach to, uh, to this. Um, so does that make sense in terms of what, what the commons is? Yeah, the commons yeah, is. And yeah. you said that the solutions, I know he was a bit extreme, but normally you either go down this kind of free market route to solve it where you're given private property yeah. or, you know, over the... Over so the someone yeah. has ownership. Yeah. 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 Or you let the government control it. Yeah. And they're yeah. your two choices. And that's yeah. the key thing is that Eleanor kind yeah. of said, yeah, it's it doesn't not necessarily yeah, have does... to be those two. Absolutely, yeah. I think you've hit, hit right. the nail on the head there. Um, okay. Um, so obviously, why, you know, why is this particularly relevant today? Well, partly because if you look at climate change... Um, the climate is the ultimate yeah. commonly held resource. So yeah. no one country owns the climate. Mm. And yet we're all sort of engaged in activities which are having a damaging impact on this commonly yeah. held resource. And without any check on that, then, you know, where are we going to end up, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's a sort of slightly sort of depressing thought, really. Um, so we'll come to sort of uh, her thoughts about this. And firstly, she challenged Hardin's assumption that commonly held resources always ended up in this sort of tragic situation in which the resource was run down. She just disagreed with that. And her view was that there are commons and commonly held resources in various parts of the world Mm. which have existed for a very long time and the natural resource is still thriving. She basically travelled widely to see that, didn't she? She did indeed, Yeah. yeah. And so her view was, well, almost what do these different commons have in common? Mm. What is it about the way the people, because it is people, uh, how do they arrange themselves in order to protect this commonly held resource? Uh, So as you say, she travelled very widely to, um, you know, come up with what were, I think, eight sort of characteristics of commons that worked, if you like. Can I just... uh, before I are you going to talk about those eight? Oh, I do. Okay, because <laughs> <laughs> the reason I bring it up is because this is the thing that um, in we entered the competition for the eighth way to think like an economist. Yeah. yeah. And our uh, entry was about heads up economics. That's, That's what we about. called it. So heads up economics, and in many respects, I I feel Ostrom was kind of with us yeah. on that because she was like, yeah. right, let's get out of the books. Get out of the theory. Do you get... feel like she was like, you know, Charles Darwin, that other guy, independently came up with the theory of evolution? <laughs> well, Do you feel like you, you've done that? And then well, after reading Ostrom, thought, oh, wow, someone yeah, else. Yeah, I reckon that obviously seeped in, I yeah. think, somewhere. But, like, that's the thing, is that she's, look, look, put your books away, get out there and have a look yeah. at what's going on. Yeah. And then from that, you will come up with better solutions than you're doing than just sitting in a little room with your little mathematical symbols. With your assumptions about human yeah, nature. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I thought, we are kindred spirits. Yeah. Oh, there we are. <laughs> so it's interesting. She is quite... We didn't uh, win that competition, but we don't mind. No, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think we even got a mention. <laughs> no, we did. We did. Oh, we did get a yeah, mention. Yeah, yeah. We, we respect Kate Worth, Rayworth and, and everything yeah. she does. Great. So she came up with Ostrom's Law. Right. Have you come across Ostrom's Law? Mm, no. So apparently it's, it is a succinct version of it by someone called Lee Ann Fennell. And they say, a resource arrangement that works in practice can work in theory. 
So you're reverse engineering. Yeah. Right. Okay. But yeah, kind of. But also, you're just saying, look, if it if it works, then there must be a theory. Oh, right. that okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. How yeah, it yeah, works. Yeah. It's yeah. all very well to have your theories. Like, commons yeah. shouldn't work. But uh, oh, what what about that one? Yeah, there? yeah. It seems to be working quite. Well. I suppose that's the idea again about one of the things I show in my class at the beginning of the year is about is there enough falsification in economics and I show this like popper video yeah, yeah you know and that that's that kind of thing isn't it oh there's a treasury of the commons well hold up have you yeah. proved it wrong you know start searching for those black swans yeah and yeah. Austrian went out there and basically caught a load of them yeah yeah good thanks so should we talk about these eight design principles yeah so in a sense which, there are commons by the way that have lasted I was reading about one in, in Wiltshire I think that has been around for hundreds and hundreds right. of years, whereby it's, it's this river, it's a meadow next to a river that floods every year, and the floods drain back. And I wish I could remember the name of it. But what are grown there, these wild sort of bulbs called fritillaries, mm-hmm. snake-headed fritillaries. All right. I might pronounce that incorrectly again. Well, what we can do is find a picture of them yeah. and put it on Twitter. Yeah, very pretty. Uh, but that's been going for years right. and years and years, and there's sort of, sort of locally held rules about like mm. who can go on the commons and who can do what yeah. at different times. Um, and there are others, you know, there's others all around the world, as you say, she travelled all around yeah, the world yeah. to find these black swans, to yeah. use your term. Um, and the she, first one was the water systems somewhere, wasn't it? In yeah, is it in California? California, yeah, I keep yeah. thinking yeah. of California. And I think, yeah. yeah, I think she was... Yeah. It was her or her husband were hired to look at that, yeah. Right? And they came, look, oh, right, okay, there is a sort of system yeah, that seems yeah. to be working here. Um, so she came at first, she's looking at all these different um commonses that work and thinking, God, what do they have in common? They seem, yeah, sort of completely different. But after more and more sort of analysis, she came up with eight design principles of right. so things that she thought. And these aren't rules, by the way. She said, look, they're not rules. They're not something you can sort of, you know, suddenly sort of write, right, okay, yeah. let's develop a new commons and slap these rules on and then it'll all work swimmingly. She's just saying, well, based on my observations, these seem to be things uh, that all of these commons that work well seem to have in common. Yeah. But we need to be flexible about that. Which, uh, yeah. And, and also these the rules at a local level yeah. develop over time. You can't impose them on people. And so on, but shall I go through them? Yeah, go go for it. Okay, so I'm not only going to do this quickly. Yeah. So uh, clearly defined, you know, common pool resource. So we know what it is that you know yep. is the common pool. Uh, uh, appropriation and provision of common resources is adapted to local conditions. So yeah, kind of works on the ground there. Uh, collective choice arrangements that allow most appropriate resource appropriators to participate in the decision making process. I think that means people can take part yeah, in yeah. decision making. Yeah, because you want it basically local democracy. Yeah, local democracy. She's yeah. massive on that. Yeah. Sort of local democracy. In a sense, uh, we'll come back to that later because her view of almost what democracy is is a challenge yeah. to uh, how we might commonly hold what, what democracy is. Effective monitoring by monitors who are accountable, a scale of sanctions for people who violate community rules, mechanisms of conflict resolution that are cheap and easy. Uh, self-determination of the communities recognised by higher level authorities so levels right. of government above uh, in the case of larger common pool resources like it kind of fits into sort of nested enterprises in other words this small common pool resource might be part of a, a bigger common yeah, pool yeah. resource yeah. so I'm not going to go on about those apart from 
they're kind of they're based on her observations. Yeah. You know, in a sense, they're coming from uh, observations and then formed the theory compared with what we see an awful lot of in economics. I've got this theory in it, yeah. in it you know, and then I'm gonna sort of impose that on the facts, even if they don't necessarily fit mm. particularly well. Yeah. Uh, right. So. Um, by the way, just going on to, to Harding, well, I think one of the, some of the reasons why she was sort of horrified by his views or not... Well, one of the reasons why I think pe- people generally are quite negative about his views is there is a sort of colonialist element to it, like almost like we should be telling people in other countries yeah. how to manage their resources, yeah. which uh, I don't think she was particularly happy with. No. I, and I, Again, that's the overriding picture for me. You come up with these eight rules, but she's very like... That there ain't rules, but you've got to fit them in with yeah. your scenario. Yeah. You know, we're not going to impose on things. It's all got to be worked mm-hmm. out. And and it was this appreciation for me just about how complex problems are. Yes. And the people who know best are the yeah. ones on the ground level yeah. understanding that complexity. Yeah. And you can't do that in your little office, no. you know, doing your algebra or whatever to come up with some economic theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and the reason, again, sort of thinking about, you probably go into this, but, you know, about why the, the kind of relevance of that today is you think about, like, the IMF riots, you know, this yeah. kind of, like, the Washington consensus yeah. of imposing, yeah. you know, these strategies. Yeah. It's, a bit, yeah. it's slightly different, but you know what I mean? It's like well, this one-size-fits-all policy no, to... No, you're absolutely you know, right. I remember reading this example. I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but I think it's about Ethiopia, and they went for some kind of... Yeah, the IMF sort of imposed some kind of shock therapy mm. on Ethiopia and privatised their banking system. And they sort of went back, you know, in about sort yeah, of five yeah. minutes practically because it, although in theory, you know, it should make everything yeah. more efficient and, you know, capital should move around, it just wasn't strong enough to yeah. sort of withstand that uh, initial shock. So you kind of think at the theoretical level, yeah, it, it should work. Yeah. But then because it's not people on the ground, you know, developing mm. these solutions, or the institutions themselves aren't strong yeah. enough. And, and that's going back yeah. to the institutional yeah. kind yeah. of uh, um, bit that um, she kind of went on about. So if those institutions aren't in place and haven't developed with local input, yeah. it's just not going to work. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting you should say, by the way, that I do the person on the ground knowing best, because it did remind me of that Hayek article we read. When we did Hayek, uh, there's... Theory of knowledge in society. Oh, I think yeah, it's yeah, called. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. It reminded me of that because I was thinking, God, you did the Hayek lecture. I don't see how that fits in. Yeah. But it, again, it, Hayek was. Yeah, she was uh, chummy, wasn't she, with Hayek? Yeah, but he was quite keen on this idea that, you know, the local person. Yeah. He's looking at more in a free market perspective rather than in terms of. Yeah, because I've know, got about. Management of commons. Yeah, but, the issue of Hayek going on about decentralized, decentralized markets are better for perfect information. Yeah. And so he saw it as like just being hugely efficient. That's yes, how free markets yeah. work, you know, yeah. perfect information. Yeah, yeah. And you're right, if you're imposing it from far away, you've yeah. got imperfect information and yeah. therefore the markets don't work efficiently. Yeah. So, I, I did know. see a link there. Yeah. Um, so obviously what, partly what she's interested in as well is, well, how, why do people cooperate? Because in a sense, we talk mm. an awful lot about well, why people don't cooperate. Yes. Why, and we assume in economics often that People are selfish, they're rational. Mm. Uh, going right back to Adam Smith, oh, as, as we know from our Adam Smith episode, yeah. Adam Smith was not as simplistic as that by any means. He saw men as obviously pursuing self-interest, but also capable of great empathy. But, but, uh, but more in the, in the book that wasn't as famous. Yeah, more the theory of moral sentiments, yeah. yeah. Um, 
But certainly, she's in, is interested in is not necessarily why people compete, but why do they cooperate? Yeah. And what are the conditions in which trust develops? Yeah. And again, I was just thinking as I was reading that, what could be more relevant yeah. to modern times than to really look at mm. well, what are the situations in which trust develops between yeah. people? Especially when trust is broken down, particularly yeah. politics at the moment. Yeah, I mean, certainly the in the UK, and I'm sure in the US as well, we're looking at a very divided yeah. sort of politics. And that old expression of reaching across the floor yeah. just seems to happen yeah. less and less. You I know, know. Yeah. Uh, but she's interested in that. and I, I didn't Talking about that, reaching across the floor, she, there was the, in the book we, we were both reading, I think, you know, she sits down, doesn't she? Has a burger with Garrett Hardy. Yes, you know, yeah, you I kind love of think, that story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So really so nice. This is a guy I disagree with quite yeah. vehemently. Let's get him round. But I'm going to get him round. I'm going to make the burgers, and we're going to have a good old yeah. ding dong about it. We're going to have a good yeah. old argument. I love that story, and you kind of think we well, need more of yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. You know, people exactly. you disagree with, they're not yeah. aliens. They're not yeah, sort yeah. of uh, you know the enemy necessarily. Yeah. They're people we disagree yeah. with. Yeah. But she's looking, well, what are the conditions in which trust develops? And uh, I, I saw a, a mention of something called cheap talk, you know, just the idea that you have social contact with someone, you're going to develop trust, even if you're not yeah, necessarily yeah, okay. talking yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. the issue at hand, which I thought was an yeah. interesting idea. Yeah, it's a nice idea. Um, but another thing, and again, a much more complex thing could have or sort of broader in her interest than quite a few of the economists we've looked mm. at, is this interest in, in, in uh, democracy. And I found this really interesting because she sort of sees democracy as like people having input on a day-to-day basis on the things around them that affect their lives. So obviously if they're living within a, a community in which a commonly held resource is particularly important, well, they need some input into yeah, that. Yeah. But so it's not about like, oh, right, every five years I vote, that's part what politics is. I might write to my MP or my congressman yeah. or senator. No, 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 it's about you developing the skills to negotiate with other people in order to solve problems. Mm. A completely different reframing of democracy, which I thought was really interesting. Um, So that I found interesting. And the the other thing... There's a word, isn't there? Poly... Oh, I don't know. I'm good. I'm going to move, let's move on I'll hunt that down it's something to do with centrism or something like that yeah. basically not the one again the one focus of it there's like yeah. lots of little deciders going on yeah. I'll find it out tweet it good good <laughs> uh, and the last thing I wanted to talk about is uh, she did develop a kind of toolkit for analysing institutions right so in almost if you're saying institutions have an influence on sort of decision making what do you mean by an institution? Yeah, yeah. So she developed a kind of a, a way of sort of analyzing, like mapping what an institution is uh, and so on. Um, and so in some ways there is similarities with Veblen there, but I'd say perhaps when we read Veblen, Veblen was, there was a kind of qualitative sort of aspect to his work. It was quite descriptive, anthropological, mm. I think yeah, he yeah, called yeah. it. Whereas for her, she's certainly not afraid of quantitative analysis. But also there's qualitative elements as well. Mm. There's listening to a whole range of different participants in her research. So it's kind of methodological pluralism. Yeah. You know, it's like, the way she sought out. She just wanted to learn. She's so curious, wasn't yes. it? That's what got me yeah. about it. Just went yeah. out. I mean, going back to the trust thing about how she was desperate to kind of learn about game theory, you know, um, and kind of, again, going on about trust and cooperation. It's just incredible, really. Yeah. Yeah, no, game theory as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. There's a sort of game theory element in terms of 
their analysis. So you yeah. can think, wow, you're threading together. Yeah, lo- loads of stuff. Aspects. It's incredible. And there's not this kind of, you know, defence of either an ideology. Yeah. Like, I'm a market fundamentalist or I'm a Marxist. Or of a particular approach to doing economics. Economics should all be about yeah, yeah. statistics. It's kind of, no, 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 we're going to problem solve and we're going to get all the information in yeah. that potentially can help us sort of solve the problem at hand. Mm. Um, so, and the, the one, one last thing I quite liked was when we're making decisions about uh, resources and how to use them, we shouldn't just consider our generation or the next generation. Yes. I think she got this from the, a Native American yes, idea that's right, yeah. that we should consider seven generations ahead yeah. when making decisions. Yeah. Which, again, so relevant now. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, there we are. Do you want some quotes from her? Yeah, go on. Yeah. Uh, so, here we are. And this is I, this is the one that reminded me of Hayek, actually. Bureaucrats sometimes do not have the correct information, while citizens and users of resources do. Yeah. Smash it. Yeah. <laughs> the power of a theory is exactly proportional to the diversity of situations it can explain. Very good. Yeah, quite I like that, that a lot. Uh, yeah. What we have ignored is what citizens can do and the importance of real involvement of the people versus just having somebody in Washington make a rule. Love that. It's like Citizen Smith Wolfie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's a very old, old BBC reference there. Yeah, well done. But to our older listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there is no reason to believe that bureaucrats and politicians no matter how well-meaning are better at solving problems than the people on the spot who have the strongest incentive to get the solution right yeah, yeah. and this last one uh, you do get a sense uh, you'll like this one because I think you're uh, I don't know uh, you like buying stuff from charity shops I do yeah so some of the homes that have been built in the last 10 years just appall me why do humans need huge homes I was born poor and I didn't know you bought clothes at anything but the goodwill until I went to college. Some of our mentality about what it means to have a good life is, I think, not going to help us in the next 50 years. We have to think through a meaningful life where we're helping one, one another in ways that really help the earth. It's brilliant. I mean, that line could put in, put in our Veblen special, can we? Yeah. Conspicuous consumption. Yeah. Goes back to that thought experiment, you know. Yeah. About what? Why do we need? I I say this all the time. I don't want to moan about stuff, but yeah. like about wanting to buy a bigger house. And like, oh, but a bigger. Like, well, why? Oh, because it'd be really nice to have a spare room. Uh, why? So yeah. that, you know, for like four week, four weekends in a year, yeah. you have got some a place for people to stay in. Yeah. Utterly you can pointless. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, I had an airbed the other day. It was brilliant. I don't know we're not going to advertise it, but it's absolutely fantastic. I bought air beds before and they just go yeah. down. Yeah. This one pumped up. It's like a real bed. Fantastic. Would you want to say who it is? No, I'm not. Advert's free, always. Economics <laughs> in ten. Uh, right, so we need to... Is that it? Yeah. All right, okay. Jolly good. So we're moving on to... Uh, what do the critics say about Ostrom? Okay, so... Point one. To a certain extent, they don't say anything. And what is interesting is, like Veblen, there's a kind of just, we're going to, the economics mainstream is just going to ignore Ostrom for much of of her career. There's this uh, couple of quotes about some quite famous economists who sort of, when she won her Nobel Prize, what, who is this? And had to go away and look up who she was. (laughs) 
So you are looking at someone who is definitely standing outside of the mainstream. Yeah. And like Veblen, you kind of think, well, certainly, did you learn about Ostrom at university? Mm, no. And yeah, well, I was reading this, and God, this is interesting. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's really thought-provoking. Mm. Uh, and so you could argue, like Veblen, she isn't really criticised, she's ignored, she's dismissed, seen as irrelevant. Or is even, weird, but is she really an economist? Yeah. I guess that's, you could almost hear some people saying... But I, I know this is the thing about her kind of being a bit all over the shop in many respects, because well, she was the president or something of the public choice kind of board or something like yeah. that, you know, public choice theory, which is yeah. kind of well-known James Buchanan, and there's loads of criticism of him yeah. from like people in America about his thinking. Mm. And yet she seems to have kind of floated between all these like yeah. like a ghost it's like a non-sectarian yeah it's, and, and, that, and that's kind of quite interesting that, yeah. that no one has grabbed on that yeah. bandwagon and said well you're mates with Buchanan therefore I'm going to tie you in with his beliefs yeah. which I think are absolutely dreadful yeah nothing at all but then again maybe that's because yeah. I mean, I mean I, you know it maybe it is the sexism in economics no, she's know. easy to ignore I think one criticism that we can't ignore though is that in a sense, for some people, they would say, look, she is missing the macroeconomic level of things. Right. Okay, you can explain why a commonly held resource, all commonly held resources in mm -hmm. different parts of the world, how they work, why they work, but why is it there are less commons full stop yeah. around the world? In other words, there's an easy sort of Marxist critique of this, is to say, and Marx himself actually wrote a lot about sort of commons and commonly held things and looked at how they declined over time and basically said, well, that's, you know, it's the capitalist class, you know, yeah. so seizing the assets of the common people. So where, in a sense, uh, is the, the macroeconomic structure or the structural theory which explains why we get commons in some parts of the world and not in others? Mm. So in other words, if commons are being sort of taken over by people, why is that? And surely that's a really interesting question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, you could argue that, you know, if, if you wanted to fight the power that is, you know, enclosing commons, it's good to sort of be able to say, well, you can't take them over, it's working, it's working yeah, really yeah. well. So you could argue that maybe her work is helping to sort of arm the defence mm -hmm. there. But yeah, I think, I did think that was, you know, that there was some sort of... Uh, you know, viability in that, that particular argument. I don't know what you think yeah. about that. No, no, I think so. I think that's just another criticism. Like, you, you can't really call it a criticism. It's just the fact that ultimately when you're dealing with complex problems and the way she is dealing with it is tight. It just takes time. Yeah. It just takes time to get all those groups together and, and so on. So yeah. there you go. Okay. Yeah. So we're kind of saying not, not too much. I think I've done that. Yeah. Okay. Right. Food time. Yeah. Uh, what are we eating today, Pete, that has a spurious link to The Economist in question? To be honest, I'm expecting something a Yankee Doodle Dandy. <laughs> because so, I know that she, we already know she likes a burger. Yeah. Do you know what? I actually changed my mind about what I was going to cook today. Right. Yeah. Because I was, I was thinking, you know what, it'd be easy to make burgers. And then yeah. we could celebrate that moment when she gets hard in round. Yeah. They're having a, a ding dong yeah. intellectual battle. Exactly. Because she makes yeah. the burgers. But I decided against that. Right. Yeah. Because um, of our environmental special? Uh, yeah. Reduce your beef yeah. consumption? Something like that. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did as well. She obviously, I do love this website. 
you can look up the the Nobel oh, banquet. Oh yeah, yeah. So I yeah, did look okay. up the Nobel banquet from two thousand and nine when she won a a Nobel prize. Yeah. So uh, do you want to do you want to read some of what? Yeah, I'd like to to hear. So lobster consomme with shellfish tartare, lobster and calyx bleak roe. Mm-hmm. Sounds quite nice. Truffle stuffed quail with parsley root, Brussels sprouts and port wine gravy. Very nice, actually. That sounds nice. And lemon and fresh cheese mousse with sea buckthorn sorbet. Sea buckthorn sorbet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, anyway, it sounds delicious, but we're not going to have any of that. Right. Um, so why why what I've what I've gone for in the end? So as I said, I was going to make you some little sliders, but uh, you know, the, I don't know where, where did we get that from, by the way? Some Americanism. Yeah. Mm. Used to have burgers. Yeah. Now we get these little ones called sliders. Crazy, crazy stuff. From? Is that from like just canapes? They're little sliders, are they? Yeah, little little burgers. Yeah. Anyway, we're not going to have those. Uh, so what we're going to have is, because I think she ended up in Indiana. She stayed there all her academic career. So yeah. I wonder if that was her adopted home. Right, okay. So we're going to have an, a specialty from Indiana. Brilliant. We're going to have a Hoosier cream pie. Oh, my word. What, with Hoosier girls bringing it? Oh, no, no, no. Being inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Hoosier by the name is apparently what people from Indiana are called, Hoosiers. Oh, right. Is yeah. that where the bars came from? I have no idea. Must you be. not thinking of Hooters? <laughs> Do you know I am? I am thinking of it. That's outrageous, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Hoosiers. Yeah. Yeah. The Hoosiers are a band, Indiana. aren't they? They are a band in yeah. the UK, but they're apparently you call people from Indiana Hoosiers. Hoosiers. Well, I do so, apologise for mixing them up. I... <laughs> yeah, sorry, Hoosiers. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to have a, a Hoosier cream pie. Love it. And I will bring, I might bring you a cup of tea with it. Marvellous. Yeah. Right, so we'll pause for a moment. Right, so we're back in the mm. room. Gavlin, Gavin, Gavlin? Gavin is tucking into his Hoosier cream pie. I'm going to make a particular request. Yeah. That unlike previous weeks, I you know. do not eat it near the microphone. Yeah, I know. We've had complaints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is vile. I know you're trying to sort of almost develop a kinesthetic learning experience. Yeah, I want people to hear that we are properly eating. Anyway, what do you think of it? Uh, it's very nice, actually. Yeah. What? What is it? Apple? It's not apple. It's pear. basically cream and sugar. Really? <laughs> yeah. Is that not pear? It's not pear, no. Mm. It's got a bit of cinnamon in it, which right. might remind you of an apple pie, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, it's tasty. Good. Can Excellent. I just say, just quickly, um, with regards... Um, the Commons. I know yes. obviously we've been discussing this, but I came across today. Um, I don't know if you know Nesta. They're like a kind of um, an organisation that kind of comes up with kind of quite creative ideas for government and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I've yeah. been to a few of their talks, and they've created a game called Flourish. Right. Okay. And uh, they're basically doing these government workshops, and it says the game is created so that you can explore how to work towards a more equitable and participatory society at a local level. So they've kind of created this game so that basically people can come together, discuss issues through the use of a board game. They thought that was a really kind of interesting way. And what they've done is it's available to download, so I'll do a little right. link, on a uh, under a Creative Commons licence. So there you go. So I thought that was kind of quite interesting because, you know, obviously people see Ellen Ostrom's work, you know, yeah. today, how it can still be used within yeah. local society. I thought I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. So Nesta. Yeah. Mm. All right. Very nice, Pete. Good. I like it. I'm going to tap it. Yeah. I assume um, tea 
isn't a, you know. Americans love a bit of tea, Boston Tea Party. Oh, okay, all right. I don't know whether there's some particular drink connected with Indiana. Yeah. But perhaps our listeners in Indiana could tell us. They maybe have we got any in it? We. Yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah brilliant, fantastic. Okay. Well, that was lovely. Um, now. What is your favourite story about Ellen Ostrom that you came across when reading up on her? Okay. Uh, I think there was obviously the Garrett Harding story. You know, how she invited him back. We've mentioned that already, haven't we? And I quite like that story as well. Because um, I just think it shows how one should sort of conduct yes. oneself in terms of disputes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I quite, I quite like this, though. Um, and it's just a story about Lynn Vincent. But, and it just talks about how, and again, it's related to that sort of kitchen story. Um, she used to let all her students in, yeah, back to her house. They'd have arguments. There, there was. It talks about her joy in a new kitchen da- gadget she was using to make hamburgers. She loved the old, the odd delights of everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and apparently, um, I like this story in particular. Someone. Showed a, she had a painting the Ostroms commissioned of two porcupines facing one another in a combative stance. And mm. she had it commissioned because apparently it was a, a playful depiction of their relationship. Yeah. So she used the love arguing yeah. in a fun way. No, and you know, the whole everything that you read about them, they look so. I don't know, they seem really happy, don't they? Yeah, but I'm they just... loved arguing. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, maybe that's a secret to... I think that is a secret to marriage. I say that to my wife all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I say these aren't arguments, these are disagreements that we have to discuss and talk yeah. through, you know, in an appropriate manner. Yeah. So just finishing yeah. that off, it says, at one moment they might engage in intense discussions about the best way to chop a carrot yeah. and then go outside together to watch the sunset and moon rise. Oh, word. I thought you were going to end it with something else then. Oh. You know, like they sometimes be arguing about carrots and then they'd go off and make passionate love. No, they go outside <laughs> to watch the sunset and moonrise. Well, perhaps there was an interlude. <laughs> an interlude? Yeah, who yeah. knows? <laughs> well, lovely. Well, that's a nice way. I mean, yeah. you know, again, welcoming, welcoming of people mm. into a household. I love that. In many respects, her house became a commons. Yeah. Mm. So... <laughs> We're trying to appeal to the younger demographic desperately. Yeah. Desperately. I mean, we haven't mentioned grime for no. a few podcasts now. Please don't. No, no, no. <laughs> but um, uh, as you know, uh, um, we've, this is our new question for this series. Yeah. So if Ostrom was a character in the Marvel Universe or Star Wars, who would she be and why? Well, the first thing that's interesting about this is there aren't many strong female characters. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. exactly what I was struggle. thinking. Is she classic? Particularly with the Marvel universe. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking... Yeah. Uh, Black Widow. Black Widow. Uh, Black Widow. Mm. Uh, who are the X-Men? You do struggle a little bit. Actually, yeah. There are some interesting female characters in the X-Men. So I've gone Star Wars, actually. Have you? Yes. Did you not think Black Widow, though? Go on. Why? Well, this is only from the films. Mm-hmm. Because in Civil War... Right. Black Widow is kind of fighting to decide what she's obviously good friends, isn't she, with Captain America, mm-hmm. but sides, doesn't she, with Iron Man? Right. And then there's a bit in the film where she actually lets Iron Man go, doesn't she? Yeah. And she's trying to bring them all together. Exactly. Yeah. And so therefore, I thought there was a kind of an essence of oh. that. 
And that's why I kind of went for Black Widow, yeah. even though there wasn't a massive range. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Well, I, I, was, I was torn between two um, characters in their latest sort of round of Star Wars films. Right, okay. The sort of Laura Dern character, Admiral Holdo. Right. Is that lost on you? Yep. Very brave, <laughs> right. dignified. Okay. Yeah. And then there's another one, Maz Kanata. Right. Sort of little bug creature, quite short. Is she the one who hands over the lightsaber? Yes. Do you know what? I thought exactly the same. Really? Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't know the name of the character but then I was thinking about this about the shortage of uh, characters and then I was just suddenly thinking to myself well look in the Marvel Universe the way that they've kind of moved Natalie Portman to play Thor yeah and I thought actually look most of the characters can be you know it doesn't have to be male or female because I was thinking Lando right for uh, Ostrom because again he is a character he's got a treacherous bit though what what do you mean Lando yeah, but he's in between, isn't he? He's in between... Yeah, but he betrays them. Uh, yeah, but he, isn't that for a good reason in the end? No. Oh, OK, no. Well, <laughs> ignore that then. OK, well... <laughs> well, kind of, yeah, so he can save his people. Yeah, exactly. He betrays, like, Han Solo, come on. Yeah, but you, I just think he's... Han Solo, you, you Han can't, Schmolo, But you can't yeah. see... You can't... What I'm saying is, again, he doesn't fit in anywhere to right. the size. a bit like, actually, Han Solo. Right. You okay. know... That I see, but well, we'll go for Maz- that because we thought of the same. Yeah, Maz Kanata, very wise, more to her than meets the eye, mm. very friendly. Yeah, so, I was surprised that she, she's only been in one so far, hasn't she? I think she was she in didn't pop Force up, Awakens, did she? Yeah. Did she pop up in it? No, that's the one she does pop up in. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think we've done it there. So we'll that's say true. it one more time. Maz Kanata. Okay, and we'll go Black Widow for Marvel. Okay. And then if anybody wants to make their own discussions... We'd love to hear from We'd you. We'd love to hear We from always you. do that. You know, we're we just calling out. Yeah. <laughs> We'd like any interaction. Um, okay. What books would you recommend if people wanted to learn more about Ostrom or the idea of the Commons or any of our ideas, really? Okay. So the uh, book I'm going to recommend of hers, because we always like to recommend original well, works. you do, yes. Governing the Commons, The Evolution of Institutions for Collective Action. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And then a book we both read, actually. Yes. Uh, 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 Rules for Radicals. Yeah. yeah. Eleanor, it's called Eleanor Ostrom's Rules yeah. for Radicals. By Derek Wall. It's not Wall. by her, it's by Derek Wall. Yeah. yeah. So he's trying to, um, I guess, summarise or apply Eleanor Ostrom's work and how they could be used by progressive thinkers. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. a brilliant book. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed, enjoyed it. it. Very really accessible. Yeah. And, and also quite self-critical, recognises that actually Alan Ostrom might not have been comfortable with being sort of, uh, yeah. at times, with uh, being associated with left-wing or, or, or right-wing yeah. theories. I thought it very fair. Yeah, very I think fair he's book. coming from the left, isn't he? But yeah. it's a really sort of fair explanation of her ideas. Uh, and recognises different perspectives yeah. as well. Yeah, really, no, really, really enjoyable, liked it. Really, really accessible. Liked it. We both enjoyed that. Uh, anything else? No. I've got a few books, but this is slightly different, right? Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go on a slightly different angle because the for uh, at the moment I've been reading a few books that are quite similar. So right. there's a book by Stephen Johnson called Far Sighted. Right. Um, and 
the book I read before that was David Epstein's Range. Right. And there's a new book which I'll end up reading because I normally end up reading Matthew's side stuff called Radical Ideas. Yeah. Now, all those three books are basically showing that if you are going to make really good decisions, mm -hmm. you've got to have diversity in your teams right. and in your thinking. And so the kind of thing, I mean, I kind of tweeted David Upstein on this because I read this interview with Eleanor Ostrom. And again, you know, you think about economists like studying economics in that one field. Mm. She, she was the classic example of what Epstein is saying in terms of yeah. get that range. Yeah. And then through having all these different ideas, you will then come to a better decision making. Yeah. Steve Johnson, get a team together of different ideas. I mean, these yeah. aren't new because there's that book, isn't there, by yeah. um, Lincoln... About Abraham Lincoln's, team, uh, what's it called? Team of Rivals? Yeah, Team of Rivals. Yeah. You know, that you've just got to get these diverse people yeah. because otherwise you get stuck in groupthink yeah. and then it doesn't happen. And I think those kind of three books actually did make me think of the ideas that she said about diversity. Yeah. Completely unrelated to that, but apparently, I can't remember if I was reading this, but it was about how the CIA at the time of 9-11... Um, was almost completely lacking yeah, in diversity, yeah, yeah. and that was partly why they didn't see it coming. Yeah, you know, they just sort of were all you know very similar backgrounds. You know, probably I'm sure very highly intelligent yeah, people, yeah. but uh, they just didn't see it coming because yeah. they didn't really have a diverse team. Which might say, oh, the reason why Bin Laden is saying that, the reason why he's in a cave, and yeah, is because you know it's this symbolism. No, exactly. They're, they're completely. I think that's featured in yeah. one of these books. Uh, and, yeah. and another book I was going to recommend, and again, this is, again, I'm going off on a slight tangent here. This idea about, um, like, um, Ostrom saying, you know, we've got these kind of two sides, isn't there? Like, mm. you know, free market, boom. And she's basically saying, look, actually, there's variations in between those two sides, mm -hmm. right? Now, uh, it's, it goes back to my love for graphic novels. There's a brilliant icon book, which I mentioned quite a lot, and... Uh, um, a graphic novel called Queer. It's a, a, a graphic history, right, of basically being queer. Right. And the thing about it is that when I, what I took away from that book is they just talk about, like, the binary kind of issue of male yeah. and female yeah. and gay and straight. And they just kind of talk you through just all, you know, the variations and stuff like that. Mm. And again, in terms of, I suppose it's linked to diversity, it's just mm. appreciating just this kind of range of, I don't suppose, people and sexes or whatever yeah. out there, you know, and just getting you thinking yeah. about the kind of mix. And the final thing I wanted to say was, um, I was reading this a little bit earlier. Oh, yeah, that's right. There's a thing that uh, was voted on today when we were recording this, which is called Not the Nobel Prize. So right. this Mint magazine has come up with this you know, idea that um, you know, Nobel Prize is too you know, kind of orthodox, I suppose. Yeah. And so they're trying to look and highlight other people. And one of the ones that you could vote for was uh, Jessica uh, Gordon, I think it's Nemhard. Mm. Okay, and she's written a book called uh, Collective Courage, A History of African-American Cooperative um, uh, Economic Thought and practice, which is basically this history of African American co-ops uh, from 18th century to now, and so it's basically mm. again showing how cooperatives have kind of worked mm. together mm. to look after things and make decisions and stuff yeah. like that. So I think it's not strictly, yeah, but I thought that gave a range of things. Definitely related. I mean, yeah. we should have said that because she is very much 
a thinker of our times. There's loads of footage of her. Mm. You know, you can see her Nobel Prize yeah. winning. Uh, you know, she does a speech at the Nobel Prize sort of yeah. dinner. There's uh, it. I didn't watch it actually, but I saw that there is a all the Nobel Prize winners or many of them from that year, like scientists and so on, having a round table discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can sort of um, MR University, which I think they do quite really good videos. They've got a, a Women in Economics series, mm. and um, I can't remember the guy. Oh yeah, Tyler Cowen. Mm. Does a really good piece to camera about uh, Ellen Armstrong. Oh, good. So anyway, uh, lots of different things there yeah. maybe that you can think about. Okay, so if Ostrom was a boxer, what do you think her walk-on music would be? I struggled with this. Did you? I just can't say a boxing. You know, I think it just would never get to that point. Though <laughs> so she did like fierce contestation. Yeah, no, but we never con- never worried, did we, about Keynes being a pacifist or whatever. No, good point. We, we put him in the ring. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I did have some ideas. Right, yeah. but we should mention, first of all, though, that Derek Wall is married to a folk singer, I, th- I think, called uh, Emily, Emily Blythe. And right. she has written a song called Seven Generations. So it uses the yeah. uh, words of Ellen Ostrom yeah. over this kind of quite nice folksy song. It's yeah. very whimsical, quite nice. And then at the end, the kids come in, don't they, and start singing we it. We nearly played it. Yeah. But the listeners have been saved <laughs> <Yeah>. from <laughs> We did. We, we had the guitar ready. I did. And I was going to obviously offer up my singing skills, but yeah. we just thought... Gammy made an executive decision that we yeah. would... Uh, We'd be we better be off fun. tweeting... The yeah, video that's online, singing it, singing yeah. it properly. and and yeah. she sings it very well. Yeah. Uh, so we'll 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 tweet that. But obviously, it, to be honest, it's it, like quite folksy and whimsical and stuff like that. It's very nice. Yeah. It's not a boxing tune. It's not a boxing. Hit tune. us with your boxing tunes. Well, I did struggle because again, I was trying to find songs that are about compromise and bringing right. people together. Okay. We can work it out. The Beatles. Nice. Yeah, come well, together. It. I thought come together. With regards to Beatles. Actually, yeah, Come Together's not bad because it has got a yeah. certain dun, brooding. Yeah. Dun, 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 yeah, she can dun, come in like that. Dun, dun, dun. Shadow boxing. Yeah, you can imagine that. <laughs> well, not we can work it out. It's a bit too deep. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, Come Together, I like that. Yeah. Um, tragedy, BGs. <laughs> like Tragedy of the Comics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> I'd like to see her doing the steps do the moves. Lyrics? Steps moves as she's walking yeah. down the... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, is that it? Yeah, that's it. Oh, okay, right. Well, I've got I've got a few. I thought uh, Love of the Common People by Paul Young. Oh. Yeah, I mean, but again, it's probably not a boxing tune. Living in the love of the common people. Yeah, so like, nice song. Um, I thought uh, going down a rap route, because we like a rap song. You do? Yeah, Macklemore. Uh, and uh, who, who's the other Lewis thrift right. shop alright I'm gonna pop some tags got some <laughs> yeah thrift shop because yeah. her life was very frugal yeah and she liked to buy stuff from thrift shops she did yeah, yeah. anyway next one I did think and again I thought the easy route out would have just been choosing kind of you know all the women independent throw you but yeah. I did still think we should offer up Sisters are doing it for themselves yeah. by Eurythmics and Aretha Franklin. Yeah. But that's not my final oh. one. <laughs> All right. Oh, it's been a big build up. I know. Seven generations. Yes. Right, it was her big thing. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking, right, seven. Seven, number seven, yeah. Right. And we know a classic song that is great for like chanting, right? Okay. Seven Nation Army, right? <laughs> now, 
Seven Nation Army, obviously a lot of people sing songs every night. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. Ooh, yeah. And that makes like, me cringe. Santi Cazorla. Oh, Santi, whatever. Yeah. Like, her name fits in perfectly with oh, that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Eleanor Ostrom. Boom, 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 boom. So the whole crowd could sing White it. White Stripes, Seven Nation Army. Yeah. Do you like that one or not? Or I like you, it. Or do you want something else? No, no, I'm with it. Oh, Eleanor. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. No, definitely, yeah. Yeah, it's a choice. Good choice. Oh, brilliant. Okay, thank you. I'm I'm so pleased. I can play that on bass as well. (laughs) Okay, right. (laughs) Uh, Poetry Corner. Right. Poetry Corner, okay. Um, So there you go. You're going to read read the question. And then I'll pass it. And then hand it over. And then I'm not going to use any voices. Right, good. I'm just going to go for it. We're recording this on uh, National Poetry Day, so it feels... Very apposite. Yes. Right. Eleanor Ostrom. Who's the female economist that we know that stepped out of the men's shadow? Okay. Uh, That, my friend, is Eleanor Ostrom, born at the time of terrible gloom, the Great Depression, nothing new, a frugal childhood, World War II. In her studies, she fought against the patriarchy who denied her the study of trigonometry. They said it wasn't needed in the kitchen. But eventually in life, she'd win. Got married to husband number one, helped him through law school for a sum. But when she wanted to do a PhD, Eleanor ended up as a divorcee. Her second husband was a man named Victor, and it was his seminars that did inspire her. To look at the way the commons were kept, and whether it's tragic, rather inept. She said common ownership could work with democracy and a good network. Add some rules and a referee, then the commons could Go free. Eight core principles had to be met or the commons would be under threat. Plus, it would be more sustainable than market forces or government rule. And so she won a Nobel Prize. The only woman. What a surprise. She stands alone, but shows what can be done. And maybe a new era has begun. Like that. Nice yeah. optimistic note to end on. Thank you. Thank she was you. very optimistic. I yeah. So, um, do we like her? Would we have a... a, a... You, you missed the bar. All right, thank you. Do, <laughs> do we like her? Would we have a beer with her? I think we would. Yeah. yeah she'd be good fun, I think. Yeah, yeah. with her colourful clothing. With her colourful clothes and just seemed very positive. Yeah. And she'd love an argument. Yeah. She'd be like, no, Gavin. Yeah. yeah. And she'd explain why you were wrong. <laughs> or maybe why I was wrong as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Probably more know. likely me with... <laughs> But, you know. No, it's not Hooters, it's Hoosiers. Yeah. <laughs> she obviously likes to enjoy a meal with people as well. Yep. Yeah, I think yep. we have a great time. I like a burger, although obviously I've moved away a bit more from burgers since yeah. we've done our environmental special. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit worried about the effect of the Hoosier cream pie on your gout. Yeah. Oh, yeah, actually, very that's sweet. A, a very good point. Yeah. Uh, where would we take her? I just think uh, I think she'd take us. She didn't beat fighters into her home. And we'd have a nice meal together. Love that. Her and Vincent. Uh, we'd have a big argument about economics and then how best to chop up a carrot. And all four of us could go and watch the moon mines. Well, dipping it into hummus. Hummus? Yeah, carrot sticks. Carrot sticks, yeah, good point. Yeah, oh, that'd be, that sounds like that'd a really be. nice nice day. Yeah. So that's it. We've kind of come to the end. So um, who is it next? 
Well, I think we have decided we are going to look at the theory of Sir Arthur Lewis. Yeah, very exciting. I know yeah. I saw the other day that he's got a link to your hometown. He does indeed. More of that later. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. So there you go. Anyway, uh, we would like to thank you for listening and hope that you will listen to our next podcast. Uh, we'd also like to thank Nick, as always, who gave us uh, lots of technical advice and uh, hides some of the issues that we often have here uh, with regards to podcasting. And obviously, remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at economicsin10 or contact us by email at economicsin10 at gmail.com. That's right, economicsin10, all written yeah. at gmail.com. We would love to hear from and you. And also, don't forget, we love iTunes reviews as well. Yes, and we've got badges potentially to give away if we get a really nice letter. And we've still got some mugs. <laughs> yeah, Not many mugs, actually. Yeah. Really? Okay. Okay. So, so, thanks very much for listening. We really enjoyed... Uh, talking to each other hope you enjoy listening to us <laughs>